0: bald move presents in association with podcation an unofficial christmas tale set in the universe of the expanse a very belter christmas
1: Season's Greetings, I'm Zachary McPherson, Chairperson for the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. This holiday season, in the interest of promoting increased understanding between the great cultures of the Earth, Mars, and outer planets, we are pleased to release the following series of interviews from around the Belt. They feature the Belt's unique take on Christmas that you can find on the various moons, asteroids, and stations across the system, While some of these traditions may seem very different, at least at first glance, it's our hope that you'll also see our shared cultural connections and common history shine through these heartfelt celebrations. And who knows, you might even find your family's next favorite holiday tradition.
2: We moved out to series when I was six, Oh no, seven? Before that, we were living on Igea. My father worked the mines, like everyone out there. And we didn't have much, <laughs> like everyone out there. You know how it is, in us reaching from the well to push you further out. The main thing I remember about Christmas on Igea is we never got gifts. None of the kids on Igea got gifts. <sighs>
3: No chance we could afford gifts. We already didn't have much before Kala. (laughs) When Mela got pregnant, (laughs) we both pressured the boss man for extra shifts. We got them, but... it's still not enough. You know Hygiea only give one-third water rations for (laughs) Maliwala? Ceres give half like should be.
2: That's why that last year on Igea was so special. I remember Pa came through the door with an armful of presents. He had these two plushy dinosaur guys. I don't know what they were from, but they were cute. Then there was a really cheap pad with only two games built in. I played them both about a million times. And he got me this Martian noodle sampler pack. Mass exotic. There were flat ones, round ones, wide ones, thin ones. They were sort of broken up to start with, but I spent so much time imagining what they taste like that by the time I opened them, they just crumbled. Still tasted good though. I was so excited that I didn't even think to ask where he got the gifts. I overheard my Ma and him talking later though, about borrowing from somebody. Our neighbor, I think? So I knew they made a real sacrifice for me. IGNs can't afford to just give you something. You got to pay it back. Plus more. Probably took them years.
3: <laughs> that what she thought. Oof! Better than believe in the in of chimney goes me, Pensa. <laughs> the truth? The thing I borrowed was an ice hauler. And our neighbor... <laughs> in almost 20 years now, but I still sure and say. To know his name, though. (laughs) Ah. Mela and I wanted off Hygieia, so we're the only thing we could pensa. We borrow an ice hauler and rent some unlicensed cargo for some well-waller. Couple day later, my account full, and I pay me coping at the docks to call it a little light. Sounds okay? To be surprised what fit inside a duster ration case to squeeze enough. Kala said nothing about the broken noodles. She's just grateful for what she had. True Belta, huh? Sure, maybe not legal the thing we did, but Belta Loda do what Meloda must. Tadu im for Maliwala Meloda.
2: After that, we moved here, to Ceres. Things were a lot different here. School, for one. And two, my parents seemed a lot happier working at their bar instead of the docks at Igea. And we always had gifts on Christmas.
4: One thing we used to do on Eros that I miss, uh, we used to throw rocks up the well. Oh, you never threw rocks. (laughs) Well, uh, me father said the big idea was, in the old days, among the first few generations of Belters, they missed the homes on Earth. They weren't born to space, like we are. Well, me pen's idea was, uh, when you're feeling homesick, you'd suit up, go out for a walk, grab a handful of gravel, ice, stone, or whatever was lying around on your rock surface, you grab it up and then wait for the rock to spin away from the sun. Then you throw your handful with all you had. Yeah, you make throw big enough on small enough rock. Yeah, who knows? Okay. Your little handful might make escape velocity. When oh, the Newton, he say, your rock does move a tiny bit closer to the sun. Yeah, closer to earth. Well, closer to your home. Well, like I say, this an old better thing. It's not as common anymore. And those old better loader, they do it whenever they feel lonely. Then later, maybe for a special occasion. And then just for most special occasions. New Year, Christmas, Holy Days, like. Not many families left that do it anymore. On Eros, only a few would gather to do it. Yeah. But of course, Eros eventually moved much closer to the sun. I don't think us drawing rocks had anything to do with that.
5: Oh, I know all about the rock drawing. And it's still very much a thing. But I can see why some well waller wouldn't know about it. It's true. Those old belters arts were often back under 1G on Earth. But belters today have no family to miss. Our Beratnas and Cesatas all right here. We have no home to miss. Melauda be right here, in the void on these rocks. But we still throw rocks. <laughs> Ask any Toma and Kia; they know all too well. But we do it different, like. Real Loda grab their hands full of rocks and do not throw it up. Well, no, we wait for Spin to show us the glare of the sun. Then, we pick out that pale blue dot in the black sky and we remember. We remember the famines. We remember babies dying of epoxia. We remember Anderson Station. We remember the cant. We remember Eros. And then, we take all our grief, our rage and hate in our hearts and we throw those rocks with the culting we got. Then, we party all night long thing we pass out. And this year, thanks to Marco and the Free Navy, this year party going to be extra big. Most people
6: are surprised when I tell them that the Christmas tradition of throwing rocks started on Earth. Almost everyone I've talked to assumes it started in the belt, that it's something we do to spite the Welwala, or take us closer to a home that's no longer ours. My interest in Christmas is strictly as a historian, so I try not to get wrapped up in all that. The earliest records I found date back to the start of the 22nd century, a string of messages sent from a young woman in the Catamarca province of Argentina back to her parents. The messages talk in mostly vague terms about a tragedy at a lithium mine run by the Kusai Shunduk Mining Corps, where several dozen miners were trapped underground. They spent at least two months attempting to dig them out before finally giving up. The bodies were never found. It was an incredible tragedy. Officially, it was ruled an accident, and no one was found at fault. The messages, though, talk of negligence on the company's part. You know, pushing the workers too hard, faulty equipment, maybe something else. That's understandable. Grief causes some people to search for answers even where they might not be. But what I find inspiring is what happened just 12 days after they called off the search on Christmas Day. In the early morning hours of Christmas, the victim's surviving family members cut the fence surrounding the property and walked onto the recovery site. They formed a line that began at the site of the accident and extended out beyond the fence. Then they started extracting the dirt and gravel that had covered their loved ones. Handful by handful, they passed the earth down the line from the center of the site out through the fence and tossed it as far as they could the messages from the young woman say they did it to make sure their loved ones knew they would never leave them behind you might think this has some happy ending well yes and no no they never found the bodies but those loved ones returned year after year to perform the same ritual As time passed, more people joined them. The crowd there grew. Eventually, the mine ran dry and everyone had to move on. Those people spread out. Some took basic and were assigned housing wherever it was available. Others went out to the belt. But they still wanted to remember Catamarca. It's wild, but the tradition once had such a powerful hold amongst proto-belters that it was actually written into the contracts with the earliest asteroid miners unions that they'd be given a certain percentage of the useless rocks they collected, just so they could throw them during Christmas. Eventually, decades later, people lost the meaning. They followed the tradition, but they couldn't tell you what they were commemorating, let alone what it was for. So Then they start throwing rocks for their own reasons. Boss Ming says, good job. Throw the rocks to celebrate your hard work. Just got dumped. Throw the rocks to prove you're all right. Find a loose can of chicken under a table in a cargo hold. Throw the rocks because you're eating well this Christmas. That's how it all becomes some fuzzy holiday tradition. I presented the history of the tradition at Shoray University on Earth last Christmas Eve. Then my wife and I went out to the site of the lithium mine cave in and cast our stones, following in the tradition of those early miners. It's a shame most Beltaloda don't even bother anymore. and. Worse, how others have turned it into some kind of spine-measuring contest for wannabe terrorists. Okay, so
7: maybe I get a little wrapped up in the tradition. I remember the first Christmas we ever had a cone. I'd seen them before, of course, in adverts and in wide beam specials and cartoons. Once, I got to see one with my own two eyes. A friend of mine in Midtown who shared a class with me had invited me over. Her family's hab was twice as big as mine. And there, in a place of honor in the top corner of the common room, a pine cone. It was so beautiful. And I was so jealous. (laughs) But it was something I never forgot. I've heard stories that hundreds of years ago, when nobody was out in space, families used to cut down Christmas trees, 6, 8, even 12 feet tall, and move them indoors during the whole month of December. Can you imagine a tree that size in your hab? How would your people fit? But then, they'd decorate it with lights and glass beads, sometimes even candy. And then on the big night, Santa would place his presents underneath their branches, I've heard that some wealthy and well-connected earthers still do this. Out here, far away from the glare of the sun, wood is worth more per gram than gold. Forget the whole tree. So we make do with the fruit of the Christmas tree. A pine cone. Some ultra-traditional families just have a plain cone that they decorate with glitter and light with micro-Ds. When powered, they light up as if they were a blaze. But the ultimate in cones comes with a few layers of vapor-deposited chrome, three or four atoms thick, in all combinations of colors and shades. The style is to leave them unadorned, but to play laser lights over the surface as it spins slowly in its stand, throwing dazzling light everywhere. With one cone, you can bring Christmas to your entire hab. But even then, pine cones are a rarity in the belt. A lot of families, ours included, never could quite justify the steep price tag. In theory, a properly chromed cone can last a lifetime, can even be handed down from generation to generation. But that initial investment is steep when you're paying through the nose for everything shelter, water, food, even air. Ma worked a miracle with some wire bits she'd saved up, carefully shaping the wire with thousands of bends and folds using her tiny pair of precision pliers, and made what we belters call a cyclone, a cone made of recycled material. Over the years, Pa had filigreed it with bits of silver and gold wire we kids had scrounged around the station's junk piles. It was the best we could do, and it was beautiful, and oh, we loved it, but it just wasn't a real pine cone. On my 11th Christmas, my family got our own. Grandma had passed away earlier that year. She loved Christmas, and it was always her dream for the family to have their very own cone. She'd saved up a little money that we got as an inheritance and her mineral value at the cyclers was just enough to cover the cone and chroming. We picked a nice shade of rose gold, her favorite. The first time we came home to Grandma's cone whirring slowly, in its little mount maglocked on the ceiling, red and green light playing over it, dazzling the entire room. Oh, my sisters and I couldn't believe it! I know it's not possible. The chroming process precludes it. But I swear we could smell the faint scent of pine wafting through the air cyclers.
1: Whether on Earth, Mars, the outer planets, or the belt. Since ancient times, Christmas has always been a time of sharing. Belters have a saying, the more you share, the more your bowl will be plentiful. Perhaps this is something we can keep in mind during our own celebrations. A handful of gravel, some shiny bits of scrap, an heirloom cone, or a thoughtful gift. These are all things to help bring loved ones together and make memories special. A true Loda doesn't need any of these things. They'd say all you need is family and friends. If they happen to be very far away, you just need some Christmas spirit, and that will warm your heart. No matter if you're safe in your hab, out rock-hopping in the void, or here on Earth. We hope learning about the many rich holiday traditions of the Belt has inspired a sense of shared humanity, love, and giving.
0: This broadcast has been made possible by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. If you appreciated the Christmas cheer on this program, please consider heading to belter.baldmove.com to donate to Child's Play. Child's Play improves the lives of young patients in children's hospitals around the world, helping to meet the unique needs of those hospitals by purchasing games, toys, and technology to help kids and their families better cope with their stay. All proceeds gathered at belter.baldmove.com will be donated in the name of the Bald Move and Screaming Firehawks communities. We'd like to send thanks out to the peoples of Earth whose contribution make these productions possible. All Belter names have been changed and stories reenacted to protect their privacy. Zachary McPherson, voiced by Luke Piedad. Melina, voiced by Tamara Kassane. Holly, voiced by Jordan Stillman. Creo, Voiced by Garen Fitzgerald, Malachi voiced by Jordan Cobb, Kala voiced by Beth Gallagher, and Denny voiced by Mike Sears. This episode was written by Jim Jones and A. Ron Hubbard, directed by Patrick Urich and Baldmove, executive produced by Baldmove, Patrick Urich, and Chris O'Keefe. Our associate producers are Luke Piedad and Robert Garrett. A huge thanks to James S.A. Corey, aka Daniel and Ty. For creating the Expanse universe. And to Mark Fergus, Hawk Ostby, and Naren Shankar for bringing it to life on our screens. A Very Belter Christmas is a joint production between Bald Move and Podcation. Learn more about Podcation at www.podcation.com. For more culturally enlightening content, search for the Loaded podcast by Bald Move. Available on your favorite hand terminal podcast app. Once again, if you'd like to help brighten the day of kids in hospitals around the globe, please visit belter.baldmove.com and give generously.